Hey, and welcome to another episode of Control Alt Azure. I'm Tobias. I'm back again with UC. What's up? Hey, Tobias. Uh, what's up? Nothing unusual. I'd, I'd say the usual, really. So all travel for the year has been done for me. There's been quite a bit of, of events and conferences and customer visits in Europe for me. So now what I'm focusing on for the rest of December is routine weeks. Working from home, about eight hours each day, gym four times a week, mostly at home, snow shoveling because we have a lot of snow in Helsinki now, and going out with the kids each evening for a short walk. I'm not great with this, but we figured out that, okay, so around six or seven in the evening, let's do like a 20, 30 minute walk. We will go to the park or we just walk around the neighborhood and it seems to be great for getting better sleep for everybody, also less screen time. So all in all, super boring, but also less <laughs> stressful. So it gives me sort of more time to focus on one thing at a time. Yeah, I, I like that idea of going for an evening walk. We usually had that when whenever we went to dinners and birthdays parties and whatever, we had the dinner and then we always went for a walk, but we never did that back home. And and we don't do it now either. We do go to playgrounds and like if, if there's an objective for the kids, like there's a playground, it has swings, there's a sandbox and you can play around and they want to do it. Just go for our walk. We never actually had that in our minds, but maybe that's a good idea to try out too. On our side, um, you know, we did the Christmas decoration over this weekend. So we bought the tree, we put the lights up and all that. And it, you know, it takes a full day or two days to get everything in, in order because you have to go into the storage and get the Christmas gear, which is hidden at the furthest corner behind 50 other boxes. You have to really, you know, open the Tetris, uh, Tetris puzzle to, to get in there into the maze, pull the things out. And we put the, cre the tree up, we put everything in the tree. feels great. You know, it feels like we really have the holiday season upon us, um, which for us is more about good vibes than anything else. You can also see that and experience it with folks that you interact with. People are really winding down for the end of the year. Uh, however, our Christmas tree is already dropping the needles on the floor. So I'm glad I purchased the new AI-powered vacuum cleaner because it can go out and it's like, oh, needles on the floor. I'm just going to pick those up. It goes out, collects them, and it goes back to sleep. It's awesome. But I do fear for the tree that we may or may not have any needles left uh, come Christmas Eve, but we'll see. If we don't, we'll just get another tree or, you know, to stay sustainable, we'll keep this one without any needles in it and just have the decorations. But yeah, that's what up uh, for us. We we spent some time doing the, uh, you know, the decorations ahead of the uh, the holidays. Sounds good. So today's episode is an Azure updates episode, meaning We'll take a look at what's been announced, what's available, what's generally available now for all things Azure. And typically we do this perhaps every four weeks or so, but I think now it's been like six weeks since the last one, mostly perhaps because of Microsoft Ignite a couple of weeks ago. They announced a lot of stuff and we tackled some of those already. So we both have our highlights, our, our top picks. Um, Perhaps I'll start with something easy to sort of sort of warm up for the actual content. And this is something 
that I couldn't say it's finally available because I didn't know I needed this myself, but perhaps I do <laughs> need this now. So generally available Azure function support on Apple Silicon Max. And what this means is that if you want to develop Azure functions locally on a modern Mac OS device like a MacBook Pro or MacBook Air, uh, you couldn't do this without a lot of tweaks beforehand or running a virtualized Windows 11 on that Mac device. But now there's native support, so it's more battery optimized. It's also probably more performant for creating Azure functions locally. Node.js, .NET, PowerShell, Python, and Java. And I have to say that even though I use a laptop, which is a MacBook, I don't really need to create anything there locally. I, I have my servers, I have my real workstations, if I really need to code something. But perhaps for somebody who really lives in the, in the Mac world, this is something that they can welcome because they don't have to spin up a VM now just for this. All right, that sounds good. Uh, so the first update for me is around Defender for Cloud. We haven't done any of those updates for a long time, so I thought it was good to kind of just roll them up. So there's a lot of things that happen in Defender for Cloud. There's a lot of news in there. So I just wanted to bundle some of those announcements in, into this one bullet point. Um, so I'm just going to read all the things that I found interesting, and we're going to put the link in the show notes so you can go check each of these things out because each of these things in itself you know, has more details on than what it means and 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 where you need to drill in. Um, so the first thing is there's a new preview alert, which I really like. It's Defender for Storage that now has malicious blob was downloaded from your storage account. The reason I want to talk to that one specifically is, you know, the threat landscape is, you know, ever growing. And we do see a lot of the, the things with uh, malicious uh, malware and things being downloaded and being spread. So this is um, an alert rule that indicates that a malicious blob was downloaded from a storage account. Potential causes for that may be that the malware was uploaded to a storage account or um, it wasn't removed or quarantined as it was uploaded, which enables like a threat actor to download it or an in unintentional download from, uh, from a user in the organization or from an application. So it can be spread that way. So this is just a, you know, another step in the right direction in the kind of ever challenging battle for good. Um, so I wanted to highlight that. And then here comes a list of things uh, for Defender for Cloud that happened in the last month or two. So something that hits GA, generally available right now, release of GCP support in Defender Cloud Security Posture Management. Um, also GA is the release of Data Security Dashboard. We talked about that in a previous episode. Uh, I think that was also an Azure Updates episode where we dove into a little bit details about uh, what that is. So check that out. There's also GA of the release of sensitive data discovery for databases. I think we talked about that in an episode as well. Another thing that's in GA, so as you can hear, there's been a load of announcements and some of these happened during Ignite, which is why we haven't had time to, to talk about all these things. Is Defender for APIs is GA. Another thing that's GA, which is really good, is agentless secret scanning in Defender for servers and Defender CSPM, which is, again, the Cloud Security Posture Management. Something that I really like is that Defender for Cloud is now integrated with Microsoft 365 Defender as well, kind of bridging the gap and giving you that you know, single pane of, of glass where you can have 
everything in a single place, or at least we're moving in that direction. Um, another really interesting one is Defender for Cloud integrates now with ServiceNow, which is a system that I know a lot of organizations, especially enterprises, big corporations use ServiceNow for like help desk and support tickets and this and that. Now that integrates also with Defender for Cloud. Then you have enabled permission management with Defender for Cloud, auto-provisioning processes for SQL servers on the, uh, the machine's plan, uh, risk prioritization in recommendations. You have uh, attached path analysis, uh, which has a new engine and, and extensive enhancements to that. And there are some changes to uh, attack path Azure resource graph table scheme. So there's some changes to that and a bunch more, right? As you know, I just went through a, a list of things that happened in the last kind of one or two months. We can't dive into each and, and every one of those. I just wanted to highlight them to put them top of mind if you work with security, if you work with Defender for Cloud, if you're managing this kind of cloud estate and, and you touch base with Defender for Cloud in any way, these are a good list of updates. There's probably something in there that you will find valuable. Take a look, a look at the show notes. We'll put the link to the release notes in there and you'll get links to each and every one of the things that I just talked about. That's a lot of updates for Defender for Cloud. I really like uh, agentless secret scanning. I, I think we mentioned that maybe six months ago in one of the uh, updates episodes. The idea with the agentless secret scanning at the time was that you would have a VM, you would do a snapshot or perhaps just duplicate the storage of said VM. And then there's a separate process that scans through everything in there. So that's why you don't need the agent at all. I need to take a look at that one. Let me focus a bit more on one of the items that you mentioned, uh, and that's Defender for APIs. And that's been a public preview for a number of months now. I've been using it on the side. And the idea with Defender for APIs is that you can onboard your Azure hosted APIs to Defender for Cloud for better visibility to understand what those developers are up to again, because they just keep pushing up out APIs and you really don't know what's happening with those APIs. And with the GA, there's a couple of new interesting bits. So there's the API attack path analysis, meaning what's happening with the API. Could somebody perhaps utilize one of our public facing APIs to extract crucial information? You also get purview integration for classification, exchange, and whatnot. And one new bit there, I haven't really tried this yet, is security coverage with 42 crunch tools. Have you ever heard of 42 Crunch? Because I haven't. No idea. So Microsoft is announcing this is first in the world, uh, a joint uh, adventure with 42 Crunch and one of their tools. So this is probably something we need to dive deep into in, in a future episode. The only downside I would say for Defender for APIs is that you have to onboard those APIs you really want to investigate further you have to onboard those to Azure API management. So not a huge problem because in production, you typically use API management. But if you have those numerous small APIs, sometimes you really don't need API management. And now in order to get these benefits, you would then have to use API management to enable that. So that might require a bit of re-architecting to get visibility for those. Yeah, 
I, I really like that one. Uh, I did just take a look as you were mentioning the kind of last mentions of the update there. I did take a look at the 42 Crunch website. It's like API security testing and, you know, to strengthen your DevSecOps process. Uh, more than 1 million developers using it, which is awesome. So uh, definitely we we can do an episode on that. We we can try that out. We tackle it. We'll talk to some folks who's using that and we'll get an episode on that because I think that might be uh, highly relevant. Anyway, uh, my next update is Microsoft Sentinel. Just to continue on the security path, this is my final one on security for today. But something that really stood out, because I've, I've used Sentinel a lot, and you know I've done threat hunting, I've got my workbooks, I've got all the insights and all the data connectors pulling data in. Um, one thing that was missing in some situations, not often for me, but sometimes it's like, oh no, we have an ongoing threat, there's a threat actor inside, or something is moving, we have a lateral movement, something is happening on the inside, we need to track that real quick. Uh, but with Sentinel, it was like five minute queries minimum, I think, something like that. So whenever you ran a rule saying, hey, let's find this, you had to wait five minutes from the occurrence of, or the ingestion of that until you could get the result. So now there's something called near real-time rules. So it's still not real-time because it's a rule that you run on the data. So it has to happen first and then you run the rule. Um, so I wanted to just talk about that one specifically. Uh, Microsoft Sentinel just went GA with that. So it's called near real-time analytics rule. Uh, it's a highly responsive type of rule with up to the minute threat detection. So it runs with just one minute apart, which is a lot closer, um, you know, bridging the gap of what we used to have. And that brings this closer to an on-prem CM in responsiveness. So if you've used an on-prem uh, CM system where you kind of manage all the, these things, you might be more used to uh, kind of these immediate alerts like two, two seconds ago this happened. Whereas with Sentinel, it usually took a few minutes, uh, which often is fine. But for some situations, you need to shorten the response time. So this will aid in that scenario specifically. Uh, I know we've had the discussion with people uh, about that in the past and how they can get quicker or more kind of near or real-time data from various cloud products. Uh, most of the time, what is already there gives you all the insights you need in some situations, in some scenarios, you might want to get data faster. So you can kind of shorten your response time for that. So this at least steps into that direction. It's a really great addition. Uh, so read all about the considerations for that in the links in the show notes. I've put that in. You can take a look there. There is a list of considerations for when or when not to use it or how it works and like the capabilities that it has and, and you know any limitations. So that's good to understand. Um, because I had someone ask me about this the other day where they said, hey, now it's near real time, do I, can I have a dashboard and I get to see everything that happens live by any attacker in my environment? No, that's not what it is. This is an analytical rule that you can run on the data, but you can run it with a shorter gap so you can increase your response times, but there's a list of considerations that you have to take in, into account. So again, check the link in the show notes. Uh, it's all in there. This looks great. But it also reminds me that, again, there's probably a Windows server somewhere in the cloud running scheduled tasks. Every one minute execute this PowerShell to execute Toby's <laughs> near real-time rules, and then we get the results. And, and every now and then, it didn't take a minute. It took three minutes because Windows yeah. Update had to run and you had to restart the server. 
Exactly. Uh, next on my list, Azure AI extension for Azure Database for PostgreSQL. So interesting extension. Uh, when you run Postgres, uh, the platform as a service instance, not something in a virtual machine, this extension gives you the capability for storing, indexing, and querying vectors but it also can generate embeddings, meaning the vector points for you. So typically what you would use is Azure OpenAI with Azure AI Search, which used to be Azure Cognitive Search. So Azure Cognitive Search or AI Search would do storing and indexing and querying of vectors in its own database, in its own index, and Azure OpenAI would generate the embeddings. And if you want to substitute that now with Postgres, with this Azure AI extension, you can now also do it. I haven't tried this for real. I just really understood that it's now available, but definitely something to look into if you're more inclined to use Postgres instead of Azure AI Search. All right, interesting. So the next one on my list is also around databases. So this is now in GA. This also hits general availability. It's Azure SQL that now has a trigger for Azure Functions. It's called Azure SQL Trigger. So you can build your application logic in Azure Function Apps, and that can now be driven by the data from Azure SQL databases. So if you have change tracking enabled in your SQL, you can develop event-driven apps a lot easier using Azure Functions. That works currently in Elastic Premium or in Dedicated. Uh, it does come with the supported languages, and the ones I saw are C Sharp, Java, PowerShell, JavaScript, and Python. So the Azure SQL trigger is compatible uh, with Azure SQL Database, Azure SQL Managed Instance, and SQL Server. Those are the ones that I found. It may or may not be something more in the future, um, if at all applicable. But I really like that. You know, it, it's again. I built event-driven application for years, and especially in a distributed landscape, you're building SaaS software. You have deployments all around the globe. Um, you have data centers everywhere. You have queues and and service buses and and things handling uh, all the processing. You know the event grids and um, the queues for processing data. They're awesome, but sometimes you would want to use some of the data you already have in SQL Server to do that. And now that gives you the opportunity using the Azure SQL trigger for Azure Functions. So I'm excited that this is being announced as now being in production. You can start using it right away. Uh, so that's really cool. I was almost smiling here when you said Azure SQL trigger for Azure Functions is now available. But then when you said, well, it works in Elastic Premium and Dedicated, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's that's really not going to work for me because a lot of the use cases for Azure SQL database for me are the basic SKU and the serverless, super affordable, super performant, easy to scale. But perhaps eventually we'll get the fun bits for those cheaper SKUs <laughs> as well. Um, next for me, and this is generally available now, I'm a bit surprised it's generally available because I didn't even realize this is in public preview reservations for Microsoft Fabric. And I think Microsoft Fabric is still in public preview, perhaps. I'm not entirely sure. I think just when GA maybe during Ignite, I didn't look this up. So reservations give you up to 40.5% savings if you commit to a monthly 
or upfront for a number of years of allocations for fabric. So you know that you would be using perhaps the F2, the cheapest Microsoft Fabric uh, SKU, and then you know, well, we will be needing this for two years. So now you can purchase the reservation on Azure portal and then get more savings depending on that one. And when I say up to 40.5 savings, it doesn't mean that you get the cheapest fabric and then you get 40% off. No, no, you get some percentage off based on the SKU. The cheaper the SKU, typically the less savings you do. If you go for the more costly ones, then obviously you're getting more savings. But I'm already seeing now with fabric that with any type of, of data warehousing, data analysis, extraction, transformations, loading, uh, getting data, integrating data from system A to system B, Microsoft Fabric is the solution now. So it was probably only a matter of time before we get reservations in there. And I'm a bit surprised it's already generally available because it feels so fresh and relatively new at the same time. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's interesting to keep an eye out for as well with the pricing there. I know a lot of folks using that now. Um, so the final update for me is something that also is in GA or generally available. This is change data capture or CDC in Azure Cosmos DB analytical store. So that allows you to uh, efficiently consume a continuous and incremental feed of changes. Uh, so like the create, update, delete uh, stuff from the analytical store. Uh, much like in, in Azure, you have the change uh, services uh, where you can go and say, hey, whenever something changes on the configuration of my app service, let me know. Um, you have this now for Azure Cosmos analytical store. And this is powered by Azure Synapse link for Azure Cosmos DB. Um, it really helps you analyze large data sets and it minimizes any kind of effects on the performance. So if you have mission critical transactional workloads, they will not be impacted or they, there will be a very minimal uh, impact on that. So it might not be a major update in my book, uh, but I do know it's a popular kind of capability that it's uh, both cost effective and it doesn't compromise on operational workloads that you have running. Again, like if you have mission critical workloads. So when do you want to consider something like this? Well, if you're running analytics or BI on your Azure Cosmos DB operational data uh, directly, then um, you might want to use something like this. Or if you're running um, your your processes to extract operational data into a separate analytics system. You know, there's, there's a bunch of use cases. I know customers are using uh, Azure Cosmos DB and the analytical store. So now seeing that this is powered by Azure Synapse Link, uh, for Azure Cosmos DB to really provide a better change data capture experience is, is really interesting. I haven't used Azure Cosmos DB a lot myself in the analytical store and, and for this type of analytics at like large scale data uh, analytics or, or uh, big data analytics or, or anything like that. But I do know a lot of customers uh, really using it to dive into their data. So I think that will be interesting for anyone doing that particular thing. It's the same for me. I don't really actively need Cosmos DB frequently, yes, but not not on a daily or weekly basis. The change data capture is interesting though, because that is also the place if we want to figure, did my backups go through for Cosmos DB? The CDC, the change data capture, that seems to be the only place where you can actually detect if the backup and recovery went, went through or not. 
which is interesting. Um, the last one for me, this is in public preview, private subnets. Uh, interesting bit. This is an upcoming change for outbound access for virtual machines in Azure. So about two years from now in September 2025, outbound access will be disabled by default for new VMs. So when you spin up a new VM after September 2025, they will not be able to connect to the public internet by default unless you do something about it. And private subnet is a key capability for this one. So essentially it's a subnet, a typical subnet you would create, but there's a new checkbox that you can enable so that anything you provision within this new subnet will not have outbound access by default. So we have about 18 months now to test and prototype with this new capability, which will eventually be a default setting in the future. Uh, so if you enable this for a new subnet, and then you create a couple of VMs in that subnet, they will not have public internet access. You can later remove this, or you can add some sort of capability for this to happen. One would be a NAT gateway, maybe provisional load balancer, or just add a public IP on the subnet so that it can communicate externally. So this is an early public preview. Give it a try, because about 18 months from now, you have to go through everything you have in Azure to figure out which VMs will lose access to outbound, outbound uh, accessibility in the future. So existing VMs will not automatically lose the access, but you want to align your design for whatever will be the default by then. Alrighty, those were all the updates. We have the links for all of these in the show notes. The last bit, as usual, the unexpected question. Toby, I have a question for you. Are you ready? All right, let's go. This is a quick one. What is the most unusual talent or skill you possess? Wow. The most unusual, uh, you know, you'd, you'd probably argue that you always have a bunch of talents that you're proud of, but to pick something unusual, um, a talent or a skill, I might add, because um, I'm not sure everyone would call this a talent, but but it sure is a skill. Um, I cultivate organic seeds from cucumbers, tomatoes, chilies, and herbs. And each year I plant seeds from those prior years. And each year I get a bigger and better kind of set of plants. So I'm, I'm not going to the store to, to buy seeds. I did that once a couple of years back. And now every year I cultivate the seeds that I get to plant those seeds the next year to really grow my own uh, tomatoes and cucumbers and, and various herbs. Uh, my record is for my basil plants, which from the ground up are about 185 centimeter, so almost two meters. That's about six foot, uh, 185 centimeter. So it's pretty tall. And this is just a herb, right? It's basil. Uh, you know, the, the green leaf you put on a, on a pizza uh, in Italy, you know, the small leaves except my leaves are the size of my entire hand. Not just the palm of my hand, but my entire hand. My leaves are incredibly big. Um, the stems are growing this thick layer of brown bark, whatever you call it, uh, just like on a tree, the protective layer. So you can imagine how big the basal plants are. So I'm really proud of that. I would say it's an unusual skill uh, to be able to cultivate those. Um, 
you know, other records from this summer include, you know, harvesting more than 250 cucumbers, about 300, 350 tomatoes in a very small greenhouse. Um, now, of course, if you're looking for an answer like, hey, I play the flute or something like that, you're not in luck. I do play a bunch of instruments, but it's not an unusual talent. There is one thing related to music. Uh, I used to do beatboxing. That's a long time ago. I'm not going to give you a taste of that. Um, but I think that's my final answer. Uh, my unusual skill is cultivating the seeds of everything I grow and then making bigger and better plants. That's a great answer. And when you mentioned basil that you put on a pizza, yes, you go go to the restaurant, they put the basil on top of the pizza. You get the pizza, you, remo you remove the basil so that you can actually eat the pizza. <laughs> it's for decoration only. I, you, you take issue with basil and broccolis, and we need to change yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, they are both green. All righty, uh, thank you for joining us. See you next week. All right, see you then.